In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. There's nothing so bad that can happen to you that God can't turn it for his glory. And I just think it's so important for guys to know. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we, we salute, salute you. you. Hey guys, thanks for listening to another episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. I'm Jim Ramos. I'm here with our producer, Dale Culver. What's going on, buddy? Oh, I'm just uh, kicking out this podcast on uh, this important topic. <laughs> it's going to be good. Well, this is the last in our five-episode series from my book, Strong Men, Dangerous Time, which I like to say is a number one bestseller on Amazon. Anyway. Um, yeah, let's finish this section strong. This would be good. Exactly. And so these five essentials of manhood are protecting integrity, fighting apathy, pursuing God passionately, leading courageously. And the last one, which is this week's topic, is finishing strong, which those who know me know I have a chip on my shoulder about this particular topic. I've been involved in local churches since about 1989, and not one of the pastors who I had as a senior pastor finished their pastorate in full-time pastoral ministry. All of them left, some for moral failure, uh, some because they wanted to have a, a successful financial life, and others because they just didn't see the payoff between the income they earned and the headache they received. <laughs> so uh, there's a lot going on there. But needless to say, I've, I've yet to see that. My wife was in Phoenix, Arizona. I will add one caveat. My wife was in Phoenix, Arizona last night. Uh, on a biz- on a, she flew down there as a flight attendant, and she had dinner with Daryl and Joni Jansen. Daryl was the executive director for Youth for Christ when I first entered full-time ministry. He's the guy that hired me, and Daryl ran a great race and retired as an executive director with Youth for Christ. And the person who replaced him was his son, Mitch, who was in my Campus Life Club back in 1990. And Joni Jansen counseled Shanna when we were first married. In fact, I remember going to Carl's Jr. in Atascadero after our clubs and having staff meetings. And my wife was in the same Carl's Jr. crying because of our relationship. 
and Joni would have her back. To, I remember this one time Joni had her back to us, and Shanna was facing my, me, and she's crying and pouring out her heart to Joni and staring at me in between sentences with this death stare. And I remember that, and we just laugh about this and how bad our marriage was the first year of marriage and uh, how Joni just came along and loved Shanna and nurtured Shanna and how Daryl hired me. I was a brand-new Christian. I was really rough around the edges, and they both uh, poured themselves into our lives and, and man, uh, they really are a monument and pillars and a testament uh, about finishing strong. So when I say pastors, Daryl is a licensed pastor, but he was an executive director for Youth for Christ. So he is the one guy, and he really is a, one of my heroes. And so in Gary McCusker, who was never my pastor personally, he was my campus life director, and he led me to the Lord, and he sits on our board of directors, and he's just been running a heroic race for Jesus mm-hmm. for 40 years, and he's a family hero. Those two names are you know, epic names in our family story, and Gary McCusker especially is a hero in the Ramos household, right? And so, uh, so there are guys in my life that have finished well, and I want to highlight those guys. Another thing I want to highlight is this is a chip on my shoulder. For years and years in my office sat a white box, three feet tall, probably eight inches in diameter, three inches thick, and on it is some red tape, and written on the box are the words, found next to the body. And so this box contained a Remington Model 700 chambered in 270 with a 3x9 Simmons scope on the top of it. My stepdad, on December 21st, 2012, for unknown reasons put the gun under his chin, and he literally you know, decapitated himself. And it was tragic. And it was a huge struggle. It was a huge scar in our family history. And, you know, he left with a question mark. We don't know why. We don't know the circumstances. My mom said there were things leading up, but we nobody has answers. And it was just really, really sad. And so I look at his life, and I compare it to the life of Jesus, who in John 19.30 finished with an exclamation mark. I think some men finish with an exclamation mark, and some men finish with a question mark. Some men finish strong, and other men finish wrong. Mm-hmm. And so what I want men to understand is that a strong finish is not a finish. A divorce is a finish. A suicide is a finish. Getting fin- fired from your job is a finish. Dropping out of high school is a finish. These aren't strong finishes. These are just finishes. In in a lot of cases, they're actually quits. So strong finish is different. There are a lot of men leaving this planet with ellipses, you know, dot, 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 uh, question marks, commas. But what separates the man who leaves with an exclamation mark? We're going to cover that in our equipping podcast this week. But I'm really excited about this episode because of the five essentials of manhood. It is the one that may be a slight chip on my shoulder. I just can't stand quitters. I mean, you're the same way. You don't quit. You just stick it through. You 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 just grind it out. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, I mean, I just can't stand the quitters. I just, you know, we had a situation that you and I were both involved with indirectly where somebody started a job and you had to come and finish it. And I'm mm-hmm. like, that's just not okay with me to start something and not finish it or to excuse your way out of it. And 
And um, so I'm really excited about this episode because it's really easy to be what I call a paper fire, to be a flash in the pan, to come up larger than life, but then have no staying power. You know, your first impression is not what people remember. They remember your last impression. In fact, my friend David Dusek says this, sometimes your lasting impression, he says this, my friend David Dusek says this, your last impression is your lasting impression. Mm. And so that's what we're talking about. So again, these uh, five episodes that we're concluding today, these are all because we are launching a strategic small group ministry in the fall. We have 100 spaces available only in the fall, and those who sign up and don't get in, it's a wait. we're going by the order of sign up. We'll go onto a wait list. We're going to launch five more teams of 20 through Zoom in the winter, and then another five teams in the spring. So we have 300 total spots over the course of a year. And I'm telling you guys, we've got 11,000 guys in our forum. We've got guys from over 100 nations listening to this podcast. I'm telling you guys, this is life-changing stuff. This, The podcast is great. The forum is great. The books are amazing. But if you want long-term life change, the board of directors for Men in the Arena and myself passionately believe it's going to happen in small groups. And so we are putting this program up on a tee, and in the fall we're going to swing and hit that thing. Dale, you're one of our national team captains. We've got, we're targeting 30 guys to pair up into 15 teams, and we're limiting it on purpose because here's why. We aren't going to charge you $100 a month. A lot of guys out there, do some research. When you dive into their program, they're asking you to pay a lot of money to sit at their feet in this group of 150 guys or whatever, and you never get a, you never have a voice. We've got national team captains. They are all volunteers. We are asking you to buy our Strong Men series resources. The first book is 16 bucks. That's your cost. You buy the book. You get on a team. You become your best version. I'm telling you guys, there's no program like this out there that you will see life change at the price we're offering because we do not care about the money. We are a nonprofit organization. We care about men and the mission because when a man gets it, everyone wins. And when you get it, everybody around you is going to change. And so it is vitally important that we want to get you engaged in this. And yeah, is it worth it to pay somebody a hundred bucks a month to sit at their feet? I, I think for some guys it is. I mean, but a lot of guys can't afford it. And the other thing is, do I really want to become the rock star in your story? I don't want you pointing to me. I want you to point to Jesus. Mm-hmm. You're the hero in the story of your family. God has made you the hero, not me, not man in the arena. He wants Jesus to be the famous one in your story, and he wants you to be the hero. So I'm excited about this, guys, so get up and sign up soon. And so, guys, um, just again, the this top 10 is a little bit abstract. It is a little different than other episodes because here's why, guys, because our target guy, our avatar, is a man who is in the arena of life. He is 28 to 50-something. He has kids in the home. This guy is grinding it out in the stress bubble, a.k.a. the arena. And because he's in that position we aren't looking at the end of his life as much. What we're looking at is his now. How do I love my wife? How do I serve my community? How do I father my children? How do I protect my integrity from sins that will destroy me down the road? And so 
when we look at this, you may look at this and go, okay, so why are these podcasts in this section? Well, they're here because if you don't get these right, <laughs> you aren't going to finish strong. And so that is why these are here. So I will explain each. And Dale, if I don't explain that part of it, call me out. All right. If I don't explain why this made finishing strong, why this is here, if I don't do that, call me out. All right. So number 10 in our finishing strong top 10 episodes is Brett Clemmer. He's episode 233. He wrote a book with uh, Delk and Patrick Morley called No Man Left Behind. He's currently the president of Man in the Mirror, which is one of the biggest men's ministry organizations in our country right now. And, uh, you know, Brett, I, I love Brett because he's a kingdom-oriented guy. He drives an organization uh, very similar to ours, only about 20 years older than ours. And their system for men's ministry in churches I thought was really, really good. And their approach to manhood and his approach to the Bible and if you want a podcast that's going to help the men of your church finish strong, and if you want to, to grow the men's ministry of your church, I think this is a great podcast because he has a system to help all the men of churches. And actually, side note, Dale, in January we are coming out with a new book called The Men's Ministry Playbook, which is going to have 90 full team meetings from start to finish, how to start those, how to recruit a team, what an annual calendar needs to be like, the role of the pastor in the church, what the men's ministry team should be composed of. It's going to be a manual that we're going to hand to churches and go, here, do this. And so I'm really, really excited about that. Brett does something similar in that book and with his organization. So I just thought by virtue of the organization, Men in the Mirror, Man in the Mirror, uh, they're number 10. So number nine is my friend Claire Hoover, uh, episode 417. Claire is the executive director of National Coalition of Ministries to Men. Uh, I sit on the board of directors of that organization. He had a phrase in his podcast that really stood out to me. And in the podcast, he explained his struggles as a Christian man and as a businessman and as a uh, spiritual leader in his church when COVID struck, and all of the things he wrestled through. And in his podcast, he repeated a phrase over and over again that was impacting. And he said, when life punches you in the gut. And I thought, that is really powerful. So I, I just think for guys, we have to finish strong. We have to realize this. Life will punch you in the gut. If you're lucky, usually it punches you about eight inches below the gut. <laughs> right. But life has a way of punching you in the gut. And if you are not equipped to handle it, and if you are not prepared to handle it, I have lived my entire life ready to die. So when I look in the eyes of people, when I talk about COVID, I can recognize fear very fast mm -hmm. with people who are not prepared to die. When COVID struck, I had food storage available. I had ammo storage available. I had my body storage, my body fit. I mean, I was ready. Toilet paper? I had not. No, I didn't. You, see, that's a rookie <laughs> move because you really don't need toilet paper. You know, we have toilet paper just as a courtesy, but you know, you can use. You know, I was a in the. Did I tell you that I was in the woods one time, hunting with my brother, and and uh, he said, "Hey, bro, I gotta go to the bathroom. I don't need toilet paper." I said, "Well, just use a dollar." He said, "Okay." He came out, and his hands are all full of. Fecal matter. I go, what are you doing? He goes, well, bro, all I had was three quarters, two dimes, and a nickel. <laughs> <Just> dork. 
Dad joke time. <laughs> oh, man, I couldn't help it. Uh, toilet paper is not even needed. But what I'm saying is this. <laughs> I was ready. So when this happened, I was able to go to the next level personally and to do some things. We had about a three-week series where I preached a sermon every day. You know, we did a lot of things that I thought really helped us as an organization because we are ready. If you're not ready for the punch in the gut, why do you think boxers wear a cup? It's not legal to punch below the belt, but they Mm -hmm. know it's going to happen. Right. And this is what we're talking about. And so Claire had some great wisdom in there when he talked about being punched in the gut. When I, you know, I was a, I don't say this very often. When I played high school baseball, I was not a great catcher. I was a, I could catch the ball great, great defender, great leader. Did not have an accurate arm, strong arm, not accurate, but I could hit. I hit 519 my senior year, and because of that, I was all state. But what made me a good hitter was not my ability to hit the fastball. I knew that when I got up, I was going to see curveballs. It was my ability to adjust to the curve, and most of my home runs I hit over the right field fence as I drove them with the pitch. And this is what I'm talking about, is being willing to call it. You know, look at the great quarterbacks. Tom Brady... If you watch Tom Brady run, it's kind of sad. Mm-hmm. But he's the greatest quarterback. I'm not a Tom Brady fan. I'm not a Patriots fan. He's the greatest quarterback in NFL history. Nobody can argue that. It's it's irref- You can argue LeBron versus Jordan. You can argue all these things. But you cannot argue Tom Brady. What makes Tom Brady great? I'm telling you, it's his, willing, his ability to audible at the line of scrimmage. He can see what the play is going to be, and he makes the call. And this is what we're talking about. This is what Claire Hoover's podcast discusses. How do you make the audible and life punches you in the gut? Mm -hmm. Actually, it should probably be higher than number nine, now that I think about it. Number eight is Jim Whitmore. Jim's the president of NCMM. This is a very recent podcast, episode 499. Jim was hesitant to come on the podcast because he shared, I don't think I had anything to offer. Mm. And he started telling me the story of his dad. I go, bro. Yeah. Dude, you need to come on this show because do you know how many guys out there have anonymous dads, incompetent dads? I mean, the story of his dad, I'm sorry, but it doesn't get much worse than his story about his dad and that he was able to redeem his relationship with his dad and that he was able to honor his dad and that he was able to become the man that he is in spite of his dad is tremendous and he did something he calls it a tribute letter i don't love that term but i love the term blessing letter and about two years ago i wrote a blessing letter to my dad i just wrote a page long letter highlighting his life as a father it was only about honor i did not include any mistakes he made and it was a life-changing letter it has changed our relationship. I have a voicemail from him from two years ago that I've saved. It's the only voicemail I saved. You know, I hate doing, I hate saving things like that. But it's on there, how deeply impacted my dad was. I'm doing a blessing letter for my sons and their wives when they each get married. I just think this is so important. And Jim really lays this out in his podcast. For me, it was the most difficult podcast episode I've ever recorded because we're in Hawaii the cell service was horrible, and Jim was a, a, a blurry screen the whole time, and I could barely hear him. I hated the podcast because I couldn't hear him well, but I knew the material that he was putting out was gold. I knew the material he was putting out was gold, 
And so it is worth it. Yeah. And so uh, I don't know how the podcast turned out because I haven't actually listened it came out to good. the final episode, yeah. but I, I, I'm sure it went well, and I'm excited about this episode, so check it out. Number seven is Patrick Morley. He is, is the founder of Man in the Mirror, which is where Brett Clemmer is the president. We had Patrick on the podcast number 366 about his newest book, The Christian Man. He also has a a newer book that's come out since then. He, of course, wrote the famously popular Man in the Mirror. And and again, Patrick Morley is one of those guys where you just kind of want to sit at his feet. Mm -hmm. He is a, a great man who's done great things for men's ministry. And by virtue of his manhood, his masculinity... I had him on the podcast. I did not personally think it was a great interview, but after the interview, he stopped us, and he made us record that it was the best interview he'd ever experienced because we read his book, we quoted his his book. He felt honored like nothing before. And this is a guy who's been on Fox, CNN, NBC, everything you can imagine. So it was a huge, huge high compliment uh, from him. And uh, he is a truly great man. Another great man is number six, a guy that you've never heard of probably. Uh, episode 219 is with a friend of mine and a guy who's mentored me. Uh, he's 85 years old. His name is Bud Lindstrand. Bud took a small company that was dying and bankrupt and by the end of his career turned it into a company that had a $500 million budget and 500 employees, and that company's called Moda. If you're from Oregon, it's where the Trailblazers play in the Moda Center. Bud was the president of Moda. And the thing about Bud that's so striking is that Bud has not stopped running the race. He has been retired for 15 years, but he's been the main prayer uh, director for Luis Palau Ministries. He's a leader in his church. He mentors guys like me all over the place. He is a college professor. He retired and became a college professor. <laughs> anyway, the guy is just amazing. I mean, he rolled up, he's six foot four, and he pulled up in for our first meeting in a little convertible Fiat. I'm like, how did you get in that thing, this little sports car? He's just a stud, man. I mean, mm-hmm. that is a guy who embodies finishing strong. He really, really does. Well, and how did he get there to finish strong? Who did he have around him? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. Well, one of Do the things know? that we came out of this was find guys that are 10 to 20 years ahead of you. Oh, yes. And meet with them regularly on your journey. It's like, okay, if I want to be like this guy, I'm going to start hanging out with this guy. T- teach me, sensei. Not, hey, I'm young and I got it all figured out. Listen, you don't have nothing figured out. No. Forgive the English, but you're 34 years old. I am telling you. You got a lot to learn. Grab the 50-year-old. When I was 30 years old, I did not know what I did not know. I mean, I thought, why doesn't the world want to listen to me? Because you're clueless. You've been married five, you know, I was married eight years at the time. I I was still trying to, I had little kids in the home, six, four, and two, and, and two. I had no idea what I was doing. And the things that you're focused on that you think are important when you get older in life, you go, oh, those things aren't important. No, and you want to survive in the bubble? You want to thrive in the arena? Do you want to get through this 20-year phase raising your kids? Get older guys around you and -hmm. listen, humble yourself and just ask for help. Guys like me, we want to help. 
I, we want to help people. We want to see you win. Like, I had two guys reach out to me in the last month, Dale. Both of these guys are 35 or younger. Uh, I've known these guys for years, and they both said they wanted help. And I said, dude, call me. I want to help you. Crickets. <laughs> they reached out to me and have not responded back to me. So what am I going to do? I'm not going to ch- I don't chase. No, because you'll always chase. Hey, listen, I've got too much going on, and I'm too quality of a guy to chase people who don't want help. Right. Do not insult my intelligence. If you want help, I'll help you. But don't ask for help and then walk away. Mm-hmm. I will never chase. I just the prodigal's father prodigal father did not chase. He watched the horizon. He did not chase. So we get this whole thing about, oh, Jesus went after the one sheep. Well, hold on a second. He didn't chase the sheep. He well, he did chase the sheep, but the father didn't chase the son. There's a lesson to be learned there. And the, the, there's a lesson. And we got to be careful. When we say, oh, go chase them, go chase them, go chase them. That's a ministry recipe for disaster. Well, I'm saying chase. He didn't chase the sheep. He found the sheep and he brought them out, but he didn't sit there constantly running after them as the sheep's running away. Oh, he found the sheep, but mm-hmm. he didn't chase the sheep. Ah, that's a yeah. good. Whoa, that'll preach. Dude. You used to tell me. That's when, when, really good. When we did youth ministry, you're like, dude. I didn't tell I you would, that. I would chase. No, no that's I really would, good. I would chase people. And, no, I know you did. I know help. you would, and that's a failure. But, but. That is really good insight. He found, but he didn't chase. That's really good. Well, it's funny because that reminds me of John chapter 5. Jesus heals the man at the pool of Bethesda who'd been paralyzed for 38 years. And the guy is struggling in this bondage of identity. And Jesus heals him, but then says, hey, man, make sure you don't sin anymore because mm-hmm. he'd fallen into this sin, right? Mm-hmm. And then a couple verses later, it says Jesus found him. In the temple. Mm-hmm. I'm like, Jesus, you're awesome. Mm-hmm. He went looking for that guy. He's like, where is that guy? Mm-hmm. And he had something left to say to him. He went and found him. And I thought, you know, that's what Jesus does. He finds us, but he doesn't chase us. Mm-hmm. So that's really good. Boom. And that, you know, that's funny. That's how I hunt. I don't chase deer. I know guys when I was younger, I used to chase deer. I'm just going to run and gun, baby. Man, I thought <laughs> I, I'm in shape. I can c- carry things forever. I'm just going to run and gun. And I started noticing the old guys were killing bigger bucks. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? Oh, we're finding them first. Mm-hmm. We're going into where they live, and we're sitting down, and we're spotting them, and then we kill them. I'm like, oh, oh, the light went off. Okay, so number five episode is Jack Deere, episode 247. So Jack Deere wrote a book called Even in Our Darkness. So the thing that stood out for me was I was saved and discipled in a denomination called the Vineyard Christian Fellowship. And when I was in the Vineyard Christian Fellowship, Jack Deere was the number number two guy to John Wimber. Jack Deere was the theologian of the Vineyard Christian movement. It was a very young movement. It was birthed out of the Jesus People movement, then birthed out of the Calvary Chapel movement with Chuck Smith. And he was and and here's John Wimber. He was in the Righteous Brothers band and got saved and started this movement. God used him mightily. So you have a lot of brand new believers. They're in their guys and gals in their twenties. And they're just trying to figure out this whole theology that just God is moving like a fire. And so Jack Deere was a Dallas theological trained uh, professor who had an experience with the Holy Spirit. He wrote a book called Surprised by the Power of the Holy Spirit, which I highly recommend. And he, be, he, he got involved in the Vineyard Christian Fellowship and became their main theologian. So he was writing all this stuff the, and integrating 
the, the theology of the Holy Spirit with Christology and, and just this whole thing. So he became this he became this big guy in the Vineyard Christian movement. So I knew him for years. I heard of him. Well, somehow I got connected with this book. And it's a story of his life. It is a tragic story of his son's death at an early age, of his wife having struggles. He's very open in the book about the struggles and his own personal struggles in ministry and then with um, the stock market. And the guy, his life just kind of fell apart and just a lot of darkness crept in. But he continues that even in our darkness, we can trust Jesus. And this book was really impactful because it reminds us to never let go of Jesus, mm-hmm. that even in the valley of the shadow of death, God is there. God is there. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, that he is the God of all comfort. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the mor- those who mourn for they will be comforted. And people I say, well, that means mourning for sin. I'm like, no, it doesn't. It means mourning. <laughs> I don't, you know, be- blessed are those who mourn because when they mourn, the arms of Jesus will wrap around them. I just spent 40 minutes on the phone with a high school, my best friend from high school. His brother died of COVID, like literally. And he, th- this friend of mine from high school is not a practicing Christian, I would say. But just calling him, man, and just saying, man, I, I care for you. I'm here for you. I think that's important mm-hmm. that we become the comfort of Jesus in those times that are dark. And so I would just say, man, if you're listening to this podcast right now and you're in darkness, do not let go of Jesus. Hang on to Jesus. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love the quote, when you get to the end of your rope, tie it out and hang on. I, I, I say this often to people. Sometimes we have to get to the point where we need a miracle before we really trust God. So mm-hmm. when we get to the end of our rope, congratulations, bro. You're ready for a miracle. Press in. Your miracle's coming because you, mm-hmm. have, you have no more left of you to trust. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because you suck. <laughs> and you know what? I'm the president of that club. I suck. <laughs> so <laughs> let's join the suck and let's embrace the suck and let's trust God for the miracle. So Jax was a powerful podcast. Number four and three are the same guy. So number four is Gene Getz, episode 253. Number three is Gene Getz, episode 255. And I put those together because Gene Getz is a hero. He's a champion. He has done so much for the kingdom of God in his life. He's got to be 90 now. At 90, he's still doing ministry. He launched f- over 500 churches through the Fellowship Bible Church movement. His first ever church planter was Tony Evans. I mean, this guy is unbelievable. His theology is solid. He is so simple in his communication. He wrote a book, which we have a, our podcast, episode 55, Measure of a Man, where he unlocks 20 principles of masculinity from the pastoral epistles, and we're doing a very similar work to launch our assessment. Uh, Just inspiring work. He wrote a book called The Life Essentials Bible, where he has 1,500 videos linked to QR codes that you can read the passage, and he teaches on it. Man, the guy is just a champion. Is there anything that stood out to you with Gene? 
He's a very humble guy as well. and Which is shocking, right, yeah. for all he's accomplished? Yeah. Well, we got done with the podcast. I told him about a friend who was going in the military, and he was just coming to Christ. And uh, he's, I said, he's getting ready to get shipped out to another country, but he leaves in a couple weeks. We wanted to get some Bibles here so we can get one for him. And he said, better yet, let's do this. What's his name? I'll sign it. I'll fill a, write a thing in there for him. I'll put his name on it, and I'll ship it directly to him. And he did. And that was a big deal for this young guy who was just coming to Jesus, and now he's off. So here's a question, Dale, and I'm putting you on the spot. So we've had a lot of great guests on our show. <laughs> I mean, we've had some world yeah. changers. We've had people that have reached millions, thinking of Chapman, thinking of Eldridge, thinking of Harley, thinking of Getz, thinking of Seth Barnes. I mean, we're thinking of, you know, talking to guys that have reached... Boykin. Boykin, thinking of Getz. There's there's something about these guys when you interact with the t- thinking of West Stafford when you interact with these guys personally, there's something that makes them different from some of the others. Have do you know what what the sets humility, them up? Humility, their humbleness, and it reminds me of something that uh, another friend of ours said with life with the limp. What did he say oh, about, your, Pickett. about yeah. your about your character? Does your he said does your, your charisma take you further than your character can keep, keep you? you. And yeah. so these guys have this character about them, this humility, and God's saying, I can trust you with my ministry, and See, I See, that's interesting, that. because I was going to say the same exact thing. These guys were shocking with their humility, but then you get some of these mega church guys on the phone. I mean, the mega church pastors are the opposite. There's a lot of pride there, I've found. They're hard to get a hold of. They've got a guard dog who protects them. You can never reach them. It's just really a different mentality. I found that, and I'm not—I know I'm generalizing, but I found that with mega church, it's like this wall that you can't get through. It's insurmountable. But these guys that have reached—and these guys are reaching thousands—they get with these guys reaching millions, mm-hmm. and it's there—it's a—it's really—and I know I'm generalizing. I know it's not true across the board. I acknowledge that, but our experience with the podcast has been that these guys that have reached millions are incredibly humble. And I look at that in my own life. I think of C.S. Lewis. He may be one of the gr- most quoted Christians in the history, besides Jesus. And he of was course, busy. We couldn't get him on. I know. He was busy being dead. But <laughs> he says, he said this. He said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Mm-hmm. And I think of Wes Stafford. And I think of Gene Getz. And I think of Gary Chapman. I go, man, oh, to only think of myself less. Mm -hmm. I just think of myself too much. And so I look at our ministry and I go, man, maybe our ministry is only reaching men in 125, 122 nations and not 200 plus nations because I think of myself too much. Or maybe the books, or maybe, or maybe, and I'm not, I don't want to go off into some weird theological tangent. I'm just reflecting on the men. Mm -hmm. You know, the Bible says in 1 Peter 5, verse 16, Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, and he will lift you up in due time. Verse 7 says, cast all your cares upon him, because he cares for you. Ironically, verse 8 says, be sober and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking for someone to devour. And I'm wondering if he's devouring the pride, the prideful. Mm. And Jesus said, those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And you look at the lives of Gene Getz, Boykin, and all these guys, you go, I wonder if this is it. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if this is the ingredient here, that the secret ingredient is Mother Teresa, the Apostle Paul, humility. I'm just wondering. I'm reading a book by Brennan Manning. It's my second time reading this book called The Ragamuffin Gospel. 
Here's a Catholic priest, became a full-blown alcoholic, left the priesthood, got married. He's telling stories of rehab in this book. <laughs> and I'm going, you know what? The humility here. We look at the greatness of David. David mm-hmm. was Blew a it. scumbag. Yeah. His kids hated him. You know, his his he, you know, he committed murder, committed adultery. I mean, the guy was a problem. I mean, honestly, he would be in the news in America as a, a guy who has fallen morally. But he's God's man, a man after God's heart. Why? Because he always bounced back in humility. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is the thing that David had going for him. You read Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Mm-hmm. He's he's mourning his adultery with Bathsheba. So I just go back and I reflect on this. And then I see out of his life, he and Bathsheba have this child and God kills the child. And you go, oh man, it's over. Well, then his next son is Solomon, who becomes the wisest man on the planet and who God greatly blesses. And I go, how redemptive of God. He takes our humility, he takes our brokenness, and he actually makes it better. He makes us into something bigger, and he actually takes our brokenness and makes us into a better version than our best version out of our brokenness. It's just unbelievable to me, but I think a lot of these guys that have been on our show have been broken by the Lord in some way, Mm -hmm. in some way. They've either either they volunteered and they they were broken through surrender, or they had an experience where they were broken in life, you know, like Jack Deere, and they were broken. So Gene gets a uh, man. He's number four and three on my list, even though he's number one. Man, he's awesome. Number two is Jerry Boykin, and Jerry was episode three eighteen. He wrote the book Never Surrender, and the thing that impacted me about Jerry is Jerry's in his late. 60s, early 70s. I think he was in his early 70s. And he is still charging hard. And he's retired. So he's retired General Jerry Boykin. But he is not retired. Mm -hmm. This guy is a hard charger. And this is the thing that's important. And I think that guys need to realize this. Nowhere in the Bible will you ever see people retiring from active service with the Lord. I have, I'm 55, bro. And I have a lot of buddies who are government employees. They're teachers, they're firefighters, they're policemen. Uh, they work for the government. They're they're prison guards. And these guys are putting in 20, 25 years. They're retired at fifty, with a full pension. That's I mean, like nice. I mean, like they're retired with a pension that's like what I'm making now. And it and and it's interesting. These guys are going now. What's next? Well, what's really interesting is the believers are going. Okay, finally, I can stop doing this to do full-time ministry. Right. In fact, we're bringing a guy on our staff, Jay Penton, is going to come on our staff full-time in, the, in, in early next year. He's retiring as an Alabama State trooper. He's a 52-year-old guy. He's dynamic. He's wise. He's passionate about men. He's retiring, and he's, got, he's like, now I can finally do what I've been made to do, that the second half of his life will be better than his first half mm-hmm. in ministry because now he's going to be unleashed upon the southern states of America to bring this ministry message that we have. And I think that is really important, and that's what Boykin did. He has never stopped serving the Lord. And I would challenge guys, your greatest years of service to the Lord are your last years. Yep. You're, look at your early years. You're ignorant. <laughs> you're swamped. Yep. You've got tons of time pressure. You don't have resources. That is the but you have kids 
and you're in the bubble and you need to serve because those children of yours need to have you in the bubble with them. But where you truly are an asset is afterwards when you have the time and you have the resources and you have the wisdom. I mean, man, we need those guys. Those mm-hmm. are the bread and butter, I think. Yeah. I wish our country honored those guys more. The problem, you know what we honor? We honor a 21-year-old girl in a thong and a bikini fishing because she's got a body. She's done nothing to contribute to society except make herself an object, and we honor that, or we honor some you know, ex-Special Forces guy who's got wreckage of a marriage and wreckage with children because his kids, he's not involved, but because he can bench press a lot or he has a six-pack or he has a cool tattoo, people follow him. And I think this is a problem. We need to follow the guys that are worthy of following, not the guys that can, you know, kill a big buck or, you know, do a lot of push-ups or what have you, right? And so this is a problem. So that's why I love Boykin. And I just want to say to guys, man, you never retire from serving God. So number one on my list, did this one surprise you? Yeah, a little bit. I, I thought it might surprise you. So number one was Ron Deal, episode 350. He wrote a book called The Smart Stepdad. He works for Family Life and his whole department. He runs the step parenting department. He is all about helping step parents be better parents. And this is number one to me, and here's why. For my parent, for my thirteenth birthday, my parents gave me a divorce, mm. and I had had to deal with that wreckage all my life. You know, the wreckage of step parents, step siblings, which I'm close to all of them. Uh, dealing with the whys behind the divorce, the pain behind the divorce, you know, and getting married, thinking of the divorce, going, I'm never going to have that kind of thing happen to me. So I have that going on, and we have a lot of guys. Fifty percent of the guys listening to this podcast are probably divorced, have been divorced. And at least 50% are the product of divorce. And 100% have interacted with divorce. And many of these guys are raising, have never been divorced, but they're raising children as a stepdad from a wife who was married before. So this is a massive, you're from a broken family. I'm from a broken family. Heather's from a broken family. Over and over, we see this brokenness and what I want to say to guys is, listen, Romans 8.1 says there, are no com- there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In other words, if you have been divorced, it is not over. You've mm-hmm. got this. Your best days are ahead of you. Do not lay in a pool by Bethesda, <laughs> paralyzed by your own guilt and shame. Mm-hmm. It is time for you to seek forgiveness, confess it, be restored, get in the game. It's not the start that matters. It's the finish. Mm -hmm. So no matter how bad your failures are, man, finish. So when Ron Deal is talking about step parenting, when you see step parenting, somebody failed, right? Right. I mean, I I may have never been divorced, but I married a woman who was divorced. That's a failure. Or I got divorced. That's a failure. Or both of us got divorced. That's a failure. The only reason that there is step there is such a thing as a step parent is because there's a failure. My children will never have to experience step parenting. Neither will yours. Right. But step parenting is the result of a failure. Mm-hmm. And a failure is not fatal and it is not your finish. It may have finished that relationship, but you have to press into this 
and lean into this. Hebrews 10.39 says, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but through faith are saved. So don't shrink away or shrink back, lean into, press into this thing called step parenting. And so it's not over. So I just want to encourage the guys listening, man, it is not over. Mm-hmm. It is not over. You can raise healthy, fully developed kids with little baggage. You can do this in the midst of, of and in spite of a divorce. You can do this. You can be a great step parent to kids who you did not create. You can do this. And so for me, I'm passionate about divorce, about not getting divorced, <laughs> but I'm passionate about yeah. the topic of divorce. I'm passionate about step parenting, kids of divorce. You know, I, I'm just passionate about this because it is not the end. And you can go through life as a best, the best version of yourself. And here's what I would say. And again, I quote this verse. It's so cliche, Romans 8, 28, you know, that uh, God works all things out for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. There's nothing so bad that can happen to you that God can't turn it for his glory. And I just think it's so important for guys to know. So those are my top 10, Dale. And uh, guys, I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. Make sure you join uh, the wait list for teams in the fall or winter or spring. So Dale, take us home, man. Yeah, guys, uh, all these podcasts uh, can be found on meninthearenapodcast.org. Some of these podcasts are older, and Apple only carries the top 100. So so if you go to meninthearenapodcast.org, you can find all the podcasts that we've done in the past, and you can actually type in uh, search words and find what you're looking for. Also, guys, I want you to head on over to meninthearena.org and pick up Jim's newest book, Strong Men, Dangerous Times, and also fill out the form to join our program that is coming this fall. Until next time, fill the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out and be a man. You've been listening to the Men in the Arena podcast. If you hunger to be your best version, then join thousands of men from around the world in our Men in the Arena forum on Facebook. This is the best place to have open discussions around the topic of biblical manhood. Make sure to explore our website at meninthearena.org, sign up for the weekly equipping blast, and take advantage of our many free resources designed to help you become your best version of a man. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. Remember, when a man gets it, Everyone wins. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.